When, in 2017, the Wanganui River in New Zealand was granted legal rights, it made international headlines. Early today, it was announced that the Wanganui River in New Zealand will be granted its own legal identity as an individual. What's thought to be a world-first ruling in March, giving the river the same legal rights as a human being. The river is sacred to New Zealand's Maori iwi people, and the ruling for the lake to be recognised as a legal entity meant that its interests were for the first time able to be recognised represented by the Indigenous group. It's the culmination of nearly 150-year-long legal battle uh, between uh, both advocates and Maori tribes in the area uh, with the government. We make decisions over the river. Uh, that emotional and spiritual connection uh, needs to be as important in decision-making as uh, the physical impacts. Legal personhood, or rights of nature laws, have been around since as early as the 1970s and have attracted lawmakers in jurisdictions all over the world. But what do these legal concepts offer? How do they interact with current environmental laws? And what are their limits? You're listening to Think Sustainability. I'm Julia Karkatzel. Rights of nature as a concept is a really excellent spearhead concept to push back at Western legal systems. So instead of us treating the living world like property and doing whatever we want with it, rights of nature says um, if we had a law that recognised that rivers, streams, trees, plants, animals had a right to exist, then the way human beings would live within that space would change. This is Michelle Maloney, co-founder and national convener of the Australian Earth Laws Alliance. The group of lawyers are proposing the implementation of an earth-centred governance system in Australia. And by that, um, we're very interested in how some of the legal, economic, political, ethical, educational systems that were brought to Australia um, by the the British Empire um, are very focused on kind of an elite development of wealth, uh, extraction and uh, destruction of the environment. Rights of nature laws fall under the earth-centred approach to governance. And while it sounds drastic, the idea of granting a tree or lake legal personhood isn't too far-fetched. Legal standing is given to other entities like businesses or corporations. Corporations can enter contracts, lend and borrow money, sue and be sued. If you pass a rights of nature law in a place, then you're able to um, defend the rights of that place as a rights-bearing entity, not just as a piece of property. So it should raise, um, raise up um, the rights of, of nature in a court case or in a planning process. The rights of nature movement is seen as a solution to global environmental despair, nature that is oppressed by human superiority and universal ownership of land. In 2008, Ecuador became the first country to recognise rights of nature in its constitution. Bolivia, Colombia, India and Uganda have also enforced rights of nature laws. It feeds into a bigger philosophical system of earth jurisprudence. You could argue that the entire Australia legal system needs to be earth-centred. That's what I would suggest. And that, that translates into a lot more profound change than just looking at a tree differently. It's literally how do you change your economic system so it's not a pro-growth. Um, and so how, how do you look at steady state economics, 
ecological integrity, regenerative um, agriculture, regenerative everything? How do we live in harmony with the living world? Earth jurisprudence is about ecocentric reframing of the world, embracing nature as it is, without solely focusing on how it serves humans. To establish a range of rights held by nature, allowing rivers and trees to initiate control of their own management and natural resources, or at least allowing those with close cultural ties to represent it. In the case of the Wanganui River in New Zealand, the Maori iwi people meaning they would stand up and speak on behalf of the Wanganui River in court. Certainly what we saw after the Wanganui River in New Zealand was recognised as being its own legal entity. A lot of communities have come out arguing that their local ecosystems should be have greater protection. Um, Kunanyi uh, in, in Hobart, Margaret River, um, Great Barrier Reef. There are lots of um, places that have been argued by local people that they should have the right to exist and they should have the right to defend these places from unwanted corporate or government developments. Because it's not just saying in abstract, nature has a right. It's also saying local people who live here and are connected and depend on this place um, have both a right and an obligation to care for this place. And often what we see around Australia is it's local people who are trying to protect things that are being destroyed by outsiders We've now got dozens of, of laws that are changing the legal status of nature. So we've got this across an entire jurisdiction like Ecuador in the national laws of Bolivia, which haven't been enacted very often, um, in local ordinances being proclaimed by local communities in the US, in a law in Uganda, um, in laws in other places where they state, we've recognised the rights of nature in this jurisdiction. But Michelle says implementation of these laws will differ on a case-by-case basis. To me, the real issue is what is culturally appropriate for place? You've got the let's make all of nature having a right as a big law that goes across, for example, a state or a nation. And then on the other side, it's got making particular ecosystems um, uh, either recognised in law as culturally precious to a certain group or stating that it is not owned by anybody. So the difference of how you apply that matters, maybe the way through, is to actually focus on a place and rethink what does it look like here in this place, whether that's Queensland or Victoria or Brisbane or a local river. What does it look like here in this place to put the needs of the um, living world first? And it might be rights of nature laws are useful, but it might be that something else is useful. It might be that um, integrating whitefella ways of thinking with and following First Nations laws to a point what's acceptable could be the way forward into the future. I think really trying to actually understand the living world in practice, not just lay some more laws over the top of um, other Western ideas, because we can't live in the abstract forever. The Australian Earth Laws Alliance has worked with the Blue Mountain City Council on integrating rights of nature into their operations. What the Blue Mountain City Council are doing and um, are continuing to do is explore really what difference would it make if they had rights of nature as as a framework, by trying to work out what would it look like for people who manage a local place, you know, waste management, development, new houses, streets, roads, parks, what would it look like for them if they thought about rights of nature? Um, And it was very obvious, and certainly in the document we wrote, that the first thing they have to think about is economics. 
because you can't actually continue to have a pro-growth economic system if you're caring for the rights of nature. You have to find a way to go, if we draw a line around our local council area or our bioregion or our catchment and say, if nature has a right to exist in this place, how much can we take to live and how much do we have to leave so that regenerative systems continue? The questions really start to focus on human activities, human economics, and if you really want to be earth-centered, you have to say, how do we fit into this place? Not, how do we mess this place around so it fits for us? The Rights of Nature movement is a response to the failure of government environmental policies and laws. It argues that those regulatory systems are inefficient and require replacement. But how do Rights of Nature laws go above and beyond current environmental laws? current environmental law is really like the poor cousin of law that's tacked onto hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of existing uh, legal ideas inside the Western culture, like private property law. Basically, capitalism couldn't exist without the notion of private property. Private property and property laws are based on the notion that human beings can own um, stuff, whether that's land or whether that's animals. Um, We own it and we can do whatever we want to it. So it's argued that modern environmental law is really most of it has emerged since the 1970s. Um, Much of it is really just mitigating around the edges of this human-centred culture. Michelle says rights of nature isn't necessarily the answer. The answer is for the colonial governments that we have to acknowledge Aboriginal first laws. In Australia, we must come to a point where we recognise our current Western legal system has been laid over the top of First Nations laws and where possible and where appropriate, sit down and be talking about how we care for country and local places by following uh, Indigenous wisdom and leadership. So unless we address First Nations laws and pay attention to what's really, what's really here, I don't think Australia can progress a rights of nature movement. people uh, who are the oldest living, surviving culture uh, in the world. So we're a very ancient people. What the rights of nature does is it advocates the introduction of a new Western legal concept that doesn't really fit with Indigenous people's concept of the world. Dr Virginia Marshall is a Ruadjuri Niamba woman from New South Wales. She's also an Indigenous postdoctoral fellow at the Australian National University. Virginia says the rights of nature movement undermines current Indigenous self-determination and governance. It's antithetical to what I say is the Indigenous rule of law and our cultural obligation. So in other words, if we were just going to um, uh, excise uh, that tree, that river, that mountain from uh, uh, a surrounding area, uh, for example, um, that actually interferes with our relationships. Uh, And we need to understand that Aboriginal people's relationships to the land, the sea, the water, the airspace, everything around us is a relationship that you would have with siblings, uh, with your parents. She says the concept of personhood of river systems is foreign within Aboriginal ideology, where there is no separation between land, water and Aboriginal cultural obligations. 
um, it's it's a very deep and meaningful relationship uh, that you could call blood relationship. So it's not merely these Western words of totems. It's actually part of us. It's our identity. So that rights of nature movement actually just acknowledges the wisdom of Aboriginal peoples on one hand, but then also proposes to um, ensure that there are laws that um, actually segregate us from our own uh, environment and our own place and our ontological relationships and laws. Granting groups like the Maori Iwi in the role of representing sites like the Wanganui River also means they will be implicated in court processes. The status of a legal person able to sue and be sued creates new property rights and legal challenges for Indigenous communities. The Māori people had said to me that we haven't thought out the liability issue. And that really concerns me because the Guardians, for example, in the Whanganui River, um, in the New Zealand example, are they going to be responsible, such as um, directors are, uh, if a company fails to do uh, a thing or um, it actually goes against its members, are the directors, are the guardians under that system going to be responsible? And that's the big question mark. And, and it is a serious issue. And, and there is, is a big drive from uh, a lot of people in the environmental movement in Australia and academics, for example, um, that are really driving this along without thinking about um, the, the other, the downsides. Um, and the downsides could also mean that community might be ultimately responsible, um, even though that the river has or the lake has or the, the mountain has standing. So I, we haven't thought that out. The rights of nature may strengthen the legal position of those acting on behalf of nature, but experts say the biggest obstacle to legal defence of nature in Australia is the lack of resources and enforcement of laws currently in place. We have flawed policy all over Australia as far as state and territory laws and Commonwealth law go. Um, in Western Australia, you can see there's a big um, uh, furor about um, the minister making basically all the decisions either to register or deregister Aboriginal sites. Um, and, and that's unthinkable because uh, only Aboriginal people can understand uh, what sites need to be registered. And, uh, and having a site deregistered also has to have the full um, inclusion of Aboriginal peoples. What we need to do is have stronger, more um, uh, Aboriginal um, focused cultural and heritage laws that really um, allow Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to be primary decision makers. Virginia says the answer to poorly performing government policies and law is not necessarily legal personhood. It's not to separate rivers, creeks, mountains, national heritage areas or national parks from Indigenous peoples, but to meaningfully consult and engage with Indigenous communities, giving them a central role in the management of Australia's environment. This is the issue. It's not the rights of nature coming in to fill that void. Uh, what it is, is actually having very strong Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander focused cultural heritage laws. We need to be very, very clear that bad policy means uh, a policy should be reviewed. Um, it should be uh, engaging and consulting with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And this is not happening. Um, we, we really need to centre the conversation on, on what the remedies are, um, but it's not the rights of nature.
Think Sustainability is made possible with the support of 2SCR Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Sustainability is made in Sydney, which sits on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Sustainability wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julia Carcatzel. Thanks for your company.